Hello and welcome to the Behind the Music Business podcast, my little business-related podcast about the music industry where I, Danny Champion, talk to a whole host of different people who work in and or around the music industry. I've been doing this for just over a year now, just had my first birthday and um, as of recording and it's been great fun getting to know some new people and also getting to chat to some old friends. This week's episode is with Harriet Moss, the Managing Director at Manis McDade Music Publishing. It was an amazing conversation and I'm very grateful for Harriet finding the time in her busy schedule to have a chat with with little me um, about her career in music. I have known Harriet since she joined Manners McDade as, uh, well, as the person who was looking after the sink area of the business. Um, She actually says that I was one of her first meetings when I was a music supervisor for Sound Lounge, which was quite nice to hear. we discussed a whole heap of stuff relating to music publishing really and songwriters her career throughout music and how she became the managing director of manners mcdade at the the tender age of 27. Uh, it's an amazing story she also talks a little bit about her work at soho radio as well as some of the amazing stuff that she does as part of She Said So. I will have a bunch of links for you in the episode description, but as always, you don't want to hear me rabbit on about what you are about to listen to. You want to actually listen to it. So here is my conversation with Manners McDade's Managing Director, Harriet Moss. going very well haven't seen you since you came into sound lounge that time i know god that so that must have been 2014 2015 something like that so it's been three and a bit years since i left yeah probably longer than that now well i remember because i just started in sync in 2014 and i think you were one of my first first ish meetings so yeah it was probably about then (laughs) and quite a lot's happened since then yeah it's been a lovely a lovely five and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're working in music. Mm-hmm. Why? Because well, it was just the only thing I was I was ever going to work in. Yeah, definitely. Um, you're one of them. Just one of them. Yeah, I was just. I mean, I was just a complete music nerd at school. Any particular type? All sorts. So, yeah. I, so I moved to Italy when I was six. Right. And. Um, Obviously, I had to learn Italian really quickly mm-hmm. and went to this amazing school where it was just normal. Basically, in year three, I know like in the UK, you get a recorder or something. They, everybody just got given a violin. Nice. And it, obviously, that sounded terrible. Um, poor parents. But everybody got given a sort of crappy, cheap violin, but sort of forced to play it in a class situation. If you're good at the violin, you carried on with the violin. If you weren't so good at the violin, you went to another thing. I guess I was like medium because they put me on the cello, so. Okay, you upgraded to just the larger upgraded. version. Yeah, and I, I remember I had to wait. I wanted to get going with lessons and I had to wait a year because my fingers were too small, right. even for the, the little baby one. Um, and then so and then it was just normal that you would just play in an orchestra and obviously being in Rome, you just be walking down the street on the weekend and it's um, those lovely like hot sunny evenings and there's just like a little street opera happening so music was just and particularly classical music was just really part of complete everyday life. And I was going to say it was it seems as though it was classical music and yeah. performing it, as well. It was yeah it was classical music performing. I actually hated like school music lessons and I never Actually, I've never done music GCSE even. So this was in Italy still? This is in Italy, yeah. So so lots of classical music, but then I guess, so it's at school and out and about in Italy. and then, But at home, it was um, rock music. So prog, mm-hmm. rock, um, lots of Led Zeppelin. Right. My dad's a huge Rush fan. Nice. Um, and it, yeah, so, so that's that sort of thing. And obviously that just... I guess all kind of worked together and um, 
so then went from playing the cello to picking up a bass guitar and performing in that side of things as well. Mm-hmm. So and then I'm playing in bands. How many bands have you been in? A, f- a few really um, <laughs> hilarious ones at school. Right. Um, and with lots of sort of obviously lots of guy friends um, at school. And I was in a band with my sisters always. I there were three sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were in a band for years. And actually. When I first moved to London, about two thousand and eight, we like were probably properly gigging around Camden a lot. So we'd probably play a couple of gigs a month. Okay. And Barfly and um, Enterprise and Proud and all these great venues, uh, Dublin Castle, all the places I've always wanted to play. So that was great. Sliding backwards a bit, you said that you hated music at school. Mm. What can you remember? of music education at school level? I think because I did so much of it, like every lunchtime, every evening, either messing around with friends or doing some some string quartet practice or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. because I think because I was doing so much of it and nerding out in music the entire rest of my life and every second at home, it just, maybe because it was a DOS lesson, I just felt like it wasn't, there had no purpose to it. Yeah. And, I, and I think when you're kind of, when you have a really natural education in music, aka go to lots of concerts, go to lots of gigs, listen to lots, mm-hmm. particularly in Italy, you sort of, I guess the point of a music lesson is to learn the history of music, but when you're just learning music every day and you go to lots of different concerts, and I mean, I was so, so bloody fortunate and privileged to have that sort of more organic music education. It just felt like this is so contrived yeah. and not particularly engaging. I think that was the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously when there was, Parts of it, parts of the the education that I hadn't been privy to before, that was that was great. But I think it was just that that it was a bit of a dos lesson, and then the whole thing when you had to like sit at a keyboard and try and write something. Um, when actually at home, I loved writing songs. And do you still? No, dabble. I have, around I have with not it. written a song in. When was the last time you picked up your bass guitar? Actually, not that not that long ago. Yeah. I, I played the bass quite a lot at home cello I actually got my cello out the other day oh, nice. and it's just falling it apart it's falling <laughs> apart um so I need to sort that out but yeah I no definitely still play the bass quite a lot and always offer to people which is a bit cringe like if you need a bassist let me know. I was gonna say is there because I remember there was a few people when I was at Sony ATV and beyond that there's a few people in and around the music industry that have their own little function bands mm. and just little fun side projects and stuff it's like do you have music in your life still as a as a hobby now that it's your job last time i probably played was at my sister's wedding last summer okay and me and my sisters did a little reunion gig which was great but but i so i play all the time but i haven't yet performed in a really long time and you ever will yeah yeah why not I okay, do you've it. said it now, and I've got it on. Uh, <laughs> I'll remind you. Well, about it's my it. wedding next year, so we'll definitely be having another reunion. <laughs> nice, nice. I want to come back to this place in a little bit more detail, but before I do, I wanted to just talk a little or ask a little bit about kind of the makeup of some of the signings that you're working with. Mm. Now we're, we're still talking in that area of music education sure. and how many you know, what is the makeup of artists here and you know have you got some kind of young up and coming emerging songwriters mm. that kind of that have come through their music education a little bit after us and are you are there is there kind of a different way that songwriters approach the craft I think it's interesting because at Manners McDade we have quite a specific roster so it's between classical to electronic mm-hmm. and everything in between. So a lot of ambient music, a lot of neoclassical, um, all, luckily all the music that I absolutely love, yep. um, as well as this amazing roster of film and TV composers. So I think where I might reach that point a bit is when we go to the NFTS, um, National Film and Television School, we go and watch their um, end of year screenings every year right. and meet a lot of composers who've just come out of the course there. and. We, you know, we do quite a lot of um, panels at universities and things like that. And um, I really encourage all the staff to do that. So I think we come into contact with a lot of students in that way, but it's 
always been a thing that we've done at this company where we've signed people early on. I think you can with publishing, you can have that kind of long term. Mm-hmm. Um, You're not chasing analytics yeah. just yet. You're kind of looking for talent and because it's all about the song interest. and it's all about the music yeah. yeah you're 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 focused on on the composer um and i guess you're signing them as a as a, a writer mm-hmm. so actually working with people as early on as possible is something we love to do i think we, with that in mind we do have to be careful we don't want to take on people too early there's definitely a sweet spot mm-hmm. um where you know they're making the right decision we're making the right decision um but i mean there has been people. There have been people as well that we've signed who've not been through any music education, and it's a more sort of natural hobby mm-hmm. type thing. Um, but are you seeing? So you've obviously got quite a range, and you've got those kind of young mm. up and comings, and and then you've got some people who are much older, much more. I was going to say much more seasoned. I don't know whether that's <laughs> the right. I probably get jaded for that. <laughs> but you know, just have come through the process at a different time. And, sure. And we are. We are moving forward much quicker with technologies yeah. and things like that. So kind of, you know, between when we were going through music education and when someone who's like 18, 19 now is, mm. there was a huge jump in those past 10 years. And yeah. so, so I'm just, I'm quite interested in just the ethos is the, the way that a songwriter approaches mm-hmm. writing songs, the way that they approach working on a, in a professional manner from you know, the young ones to some of those ones mm. that have been in the industry for quite a while. Are you seeing differences? Well, yeah, or a, are you seeing those older, old school people kind of having to catch up? Or is uh, it, yeah, or I, is think so. I think in a way it's easier to, in a way now you can show your craft so much easier. You can record a song at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you can put a demo together really quickly for something, which I think, yes, people who've been doing it for a longer time can now benefit from that too. But there's almost this sort of more impulsiveness in songwriting and music making when you can just put lay anything down. You know, when you have to go into a studio and, you know, work with a producer or work with an engineer or really shove out a lot of money to get stuff like that done, mm-hmm. um, you probably had a bit more time or you were forced to have more time to consider songs or to sort of perfect things. Yep. So I think there's a... There's definitely, it's a much more saturated market now, I guess, because it's so easy, easily available. So we, mm-hmm. we've we definitely noticed an increase in, in in submissions that we get from people, people wanting to sign. And that's for multiple reasons, but I think you just have to listen to everything and you, but somehow, even with all that happening, and even with that complete saturation, there are people that stand out and, and I guess those are the people that we sign. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the company, the ethos of the company, what you do here that maybe sets you apart from other publishing companies in and around the same area of the mm-hmm. business that you're in. Sales pitch. <laughs> Sales pitch. I think what's really important is that we started off as really a family business. Mm-hmm. Um, Catherine Manners and Bob McDade, the wonderful husband and wife duo. And they uh, they set up the company. It's twenty years in twenty twenty one. Okay. Which will be a good fun year. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was really born from that place, and really born from Catherine setting it up and establishing the company because she wanted composers to be able to transcend. I think, you know, being sort of pigeonholed. They were don't you don't just have to be a classical composer. You don't just have to be an electronic performer. You don't just have to be a film and TV composer. You can have a team behind you to make all of those things happen if you mm-hmm. so wish um, so I think because of that and because of that sort of marriage of Catherine and Bob it's it's Catherine bringing has always brought the classical A&R side and, right. and Bob from the electronic side and and it all sort of happened at a time when that new neoclassical contemporary classical whatever you want to call it genre was really starting to to come to a fore again, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I guess since last the sort of big minimalism music of that genre before, um, so that's been really interesting. I think we now we're a completely different company in many ways. We've got a, a sort of bigger team, a bigger workforce. We're very international, um, 
I'm the MD, we have a lot of dif you know, s different structure in terms of place of staff and all that sort of thing that I guess is different from the family business it was before. But mm -hmm. the important thing is that that ethos completely remains. And um, the, the, the rooting of the company in the, in the genre that it works in is, is still completely there. Um, and I don't think, I think we'll always, we'll always be specialist yeah. in, in those genres, yeah. You've been here for five years? Yeah, five and a half. What's ish. been the biggest evolutions that you've seen in those five years? Ooh, very interesting question. In terms of the company? Yeah. You, you said the company has changed, it's mm. evolved, the industry's changed and mm. evolved. Um, you've been here for the last five years, so kind of the last, well, once you get to the 20 year anniversary, you would have kind of seen the last third yeah, I guess so. of that. Yeah, yeah. So in that time, what was it when you started to what is mm. it now? What has been the shift? I think it, we've really embraced um, electronic music more than we okay. had earlier on. So I remember, um, God, it, yeah, it must be about five years ago, we started working with Ghostly International. Um, Bob and I were really big fans of their whole catalogue, and we, so we repped them for Sync for many years. Mm -hmm. um, and also signed Fabric, um, Fabric Publishing. The, kind of the, the yeah. relationship with... And Your we're neighbors. sat here three floors above the club as yeah. well, which is great. Um, so yes, yeah, so they signed, signed them, we admin their publishing and that's everything signed to the Houndsteeth label as well, which is brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and also I think independently signed a lot of our own directly signed um, electronic artists. And maybe that's something also to do with my personal taste as well. I've, re right. I've always loved electronic music. Um, and you know to work with Max Cooper and Christian Loeffler and Earth Eater and Aisha Devi and all these amazing artists is mm -hmm. really incredible. We've got an amazing roster in that space. You mentioned Sync. Mm. Do you reckon that the roster's evolved? That idea has evolved from this idea of placing music into film and TV. Potentially, potentially. I think we don't. So that was in a time when we just repped. Because um, that the was your role start. Yes. Here, wasn't it? Yeah. You got brought in as the film and TV sync yeah. focus. Yeah, so I think I think because I loved the sort of A&R process and signing people, I think, yeah, perhaps naturally it's been, um, we've signed people where that is a potential, but I think people, a lot of people sign to a publisher because that's what they want as well. And mm -hmm. um, we still, even though labels pitch for sync as much as, as publishers do now, there's Probably still- more so. Yeah, there's still that remaining um, thing that you get a publisher if you want. If you want you to, to I always say you have to go to the publisher first. Can't get the recording without the song. Yeah. I mean, and that's interesting for us because I think we have, we don't really have that catalogue where we have the publishing and it's been re-recorded by loads of different labels and you're mm -hmm. choosing your master or whatever. It's, we, we have a lot of composer performers. So we either might... Like self-releasing or... Yeah, self-releasing okay. or we know the label really well or we're repping the master or something right. like that, so... So what, what's the, the... How big's the roster? Roughly. In interesting question. Well, I think on our um, publishing catalogue we've got about 12,000 copyrights. Right. So we're not huge. What's... A huge roster. It's manageable. Well, I was, I, that was kind of where I was going with it. Is yeah. that, you know, there, there's, there's an idea of, from the publishing side, it's, mm. you just want to kind of engulf more and more mm. and have more and more that can be generating you or do you want to kind of keep it at a at a specific size so that I you can work it a little bit more creatively again i'm guessing you don't know every single one of those well sa songs. well sadly when we i really remember a time when we had like four or five thousand copyrights and you can you can legitimately keep most of that in your head okay and I would still say, aside from some sub-publishing that we do or these huge swathes of film and TV um, score mm -hmm. catalogue that we have, the sort of um, commercially released music that we have signed to us, I think we all know that pretty well. Yeah. Um, I think we're still at a point where that's, where that's uh, manageable, I think. Um, but also there's lots of things we're doing to... to I guess as the company moves forward to keep that sort of tangible um, relationship with the artist. I think we see, we see our artists so often, we're always in contact with them, um, we're listening to their music all the time, so I think, I think it is possible to keep that. I would love to, for the company to keep, 
keep that up. I think that's important. There's a specific size that you kind of you don't really mm. want to pass. I'm guessing. Well, I it's mean, it's not just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's no, we want to grow, but in the right way. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, we're, and we're certainly we're certainly growing, but I think it's just about it's just about that care and attention to detail and and I think because we will always stay within these genre walls mm-hmm. that will sort of help yeah going down the k-pop just yet not just yet <laughs> <laughs> so when you are looking at signing you look have you got targets that you're looking for each year absolutely you're not you just no. kind of going if something comes along that we like We'll run with it. If not, we won't. We don't need to sign anyone this year if we don't find anybody that we like. Yeah, I think... Or anything like that. You just kind of take it as it goes. You definitely take it as it goes. I mean, there's always a list in the back of most of our heads of people we might want to sign. Mm -hmm. Um, Or the sort of music maybe the sync team will feel like they might be missing something. Um, Something to pitch or... I have, but I think it's more that we sort of see people and we and we want to sign them. It's more proactive in that way rather than waiting for things to come in or 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 right. waiting to fill fill holes. I think we we're just moving forward all the time. I think what we probably do is we're totally aware of what size we are and how good we want the level of service to be. So we're not signing things for signing's sake, mm-hmm. um, and not it's not about but building the numbers so we can say we've got this many people on our roster right it's about having the right catalogue and what is what are those roles what is that service that you specifically want to be Mm. providing your artists here well here I should clarify that we have two companies so we've got the publishing company so obviously on that we want to protect and manage their copyrights um, the best we can we give them a really international service too we've got a great roster of some publishers Mm -hmm around the world, um, we account quarterly, we're always here if there's questions, um, we're really great at the sort of details of music publishing. Um, obviously then you've got the creative sync team and that's always been something we've pride ourselves in is we're just always great at that and give a good level of service on that. And that's the sales marketing into the areas of sync? Yes. Yep. So it's pitching the catalogue, responding to, responding to briefs, going out to meetings, organising showcases, mm-hmm. taking people to gigs. Um, we then also have the Composer Agency, yeah. which is um, was actually the first company that was established under Management Aid in 2001. And that um, for that, we represent composers worldwide for as film and TV composers. Film, TV, advertising, video games, all of that. Only in that space? So those people on those rosters, or that roster rather, could in theory have a commercial publishing company out. Could in theory deal we, elsewhere. We, yeah, could in theory the majority of people on that roster we also publish. Right. Um, so we can take that whichever hat on and off at any time, and 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 which is a really helpful relationship. Um, Trying to not muddy the waters. Too yeah. Much no, as well. definitely, and just also keeping the two sort of being unbiased against either side. Yep. Um, so we have two agents in that space as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that also offers is we, there, you know, there's definitely a crossover. If if we're working with a um, an art, an artist, let's say, or a writer who's just signed to publishing, because I think people have to sort of choose to sign up to the agency as well, because you know, not everybody's writing for film and TV. Mm-hmm. But if um, working with a writer who maybe there's an interest in a track for sync, but actually they want a new track or they want to, some edits of it, that's where our agents can sort of jump in and, and help or mm-hmm. and, and produce that. So we actually call some of our agents producers because I think it sort of helps to have that. Okay. And when they're working directly with a production company, let's say on a TV show, it sort of helps to have someone go between the composer and production. Any projects? that that side of the business has been working on recently that you can mention? Yeah, I mean, I've just got back from Toronto Film Festival nice. um, last night, and which was amazing. So we had four four films mm-hmm. that, the, that premiered over the weekend in the festival, um, which was re- which was really great. I think films... And you're, you're 
composers were scoring the whole thing? Scored them, yeah. One of the composers came with me, which was great. So Emily Levenise Farouche, um, she scored a film called Rocks, which is Sarah Gavron's new project. Um, That's also going to be at London Film Festival this year. Um, Really beautiful film about um, kids in London and these kids that they worked with, um, most of them were first-time actors and actually they didn't they didn't really give them scripts and they give them scenes and narrative structure around the scenes and things like that and then the kids improvise so it's the best film I've seen represent a sort of age group yeah Yeah, particularly London kids it really felt so authentic that was great How to Build a Girl um, which is was the Caitlin Moran book that they've turned into a film she was there at the premiere on Saturday which was really interesting and Ollie Julian scored that um, the Cave, which is this incredible documentary about um, a hospital underground in Syria and just shot in the most amazing way. And that was scored by Matthew Herbert. Um, and then uh, Greed, which is the new Michael Winterbottom film, oh, right. which is really good, um, sort of based around, I guess, business tycoons, not strictly based on um, Sir Philip Green, but you got that <laughs> feeling from that character um, played by Steve Coogan, which was absolutely hilarious and Harry Escott did some music for that awesome and how do those projects come about Mm. because sometimes the director knows who they want to work with sometimes there's a bit of jostling for position and lots of people pitching for it so I mean taking greed or one of those as as an example how does your composer get that gig it's a complete mixture of all the things you've just said I think um Lots of the lots of those relationships are already in place. So let's say Michael Winterbottom and Harry Escott work together all the time. Right. That's a really long-standing relationship. Um, someone like Matthew Herbert obviously has this amazing artist profile, and he's DJing around the world all the time and performing all the time. He does album projects. He does collaborations, um, and then he does all these brilliant film and TV projects too. So that might be a case of. Um, the producer, the director might already be a fan of his music mm-hmm. or Jenna, um, our music and composition producer, has pitched him on, on something and you know, you, you get them an interview and then they go to that and mm-hmm. there might be some demoing of some scenes, that sort of thing. How much of that is going on? So, because f- from my background, I always felt like, and it, it felt that for the most part, especially composers mm. scoring films, they're kind of already set, you know. They're the either the studio or the director knows the person that they're that they're going for. Yeah. But you know, that's when you're starting to look at big Hollywood. Yeah. Up until like that, that point, it's how much, so much pitching. How much is is the kind of going? Well, we know that this film's coming out, so we're going to take lots of demos in and pitches mm-hmm. from a bunch of publishing companies and a bunch of composers to see which one would work. Yeah, I mean, we get a bit, bit of a peek behind the curtain. A yeah, bit. definitely. I think it, it would be interesting. I think to ask that of a production company too, because they mm. probably have a totally different answer. But from our perspective, that's the area where we're probably the most proactive in. Right. We have an ongoing production list that we're researching every project that's in production in the UK and beyond. Um, we and we know whether they've got a composer on board or not. Yep. So we can be proactively pitching and saying. Um, we want to pitch a composer for this. Have you got a composer yet? Can we talk to you about composers? Here's a list. So, so there's a bit of sales, yeah, core kind of upselling and that sort of thing. Definitely you know, getting on it at the right time. And yeah, there's probably you're probably quite a long way ahead of the game as well. Yeah, I mean you've got to be. It's, this is when they're like shooting or even yeah. before they start shooting because some directors like to have a, a composer in place while shooting's happening. I mean, it's also sort of, in addition to that, knowing the production companies really well, knowing the studios, knowing the film companies, going for meetings with them so they can tell us what's in production in the next year or so. Um, That's also really, really interesting. Um, But as you say, I mean, the relationship between a composer and a director is sort of irreplaceable. That's a really magic relationship, and there are directors who know who they love working with or have a dream of who they want to work with and we can sort of facilitate that but in a way that creative relationship has to mm-hmm. exist as well so we really re- recommend our composers meet as many directors as possible go to networking events um just maybe reach out to people and say that they liked mm-hmm. their last project and here's my album you know we encourage them to have lots of projects outside of what their scoring work mm-hmm. um so yeah that is constant and ongoing yeah. all the time yeah 
And to kind of to finish off in this area of the creative side of, of mm. what you guys do here, you're not really working with proper kind of Radio One mainstream pop music. No. So from a from a developmental perspective, from an A and Ring songwriting perspective, trying to get the most, get the best out of your songwriters. What does that look like? So we're removing the film and TV stuff. You know, mm-hmm. when you're when you're listening to a, the new album from so and so or from whatever, kind of going into the studios, hearing things like that. How do you go about developing your songwriters? It's interesting because I think. Um, yeah, the radio, the radio one analogy is an interesting one because sometimes it, you know it's a specialist genre, so sometimes they might get play on radio one if it's well, like yeah, a, really, yeah, a specific yeah, yeah. show or something. But with sort of thinking about it, I think in a different way in that promotion always comes into everything we do as well, or cr- and creativity. So okay. I think when we're listening to an album, we'll it'll we'll still think oh maybe that you know that'll be interesting for radio six or it, you know this is what this is what the world is like now too. You listen to something and you think, oh, that could go on that Spotify playlist. <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous, but yeah. that's sort of what happens. Or and is that stuff that you're getting involved with? Are yeah, you, I do, think... Are you doing some we do because for playlists? We and, do, because we just sort of, sort of always have loved to go above and beyond that way. And I think maybe because my background is in PR, mm-hmm. and that's something I've always done at Manus McDade as well, um... I can't turn my brain off from thinking like that. Okay. I try. I try to sometimes, but you, you talk to an artist about what's behind the album, what inspired them, what's the story behind it, and automatically you might start thinking about, oh, well, that'd be quite an interesting interview topic. Or, um, so you're kind of you're you're blurring the lines a little bit between what a record label would traditionally do and sure. what a publisher does because of the nature of the type of artists you're working with who are self-releasing yeah. or they might be self-releasing or working with smaller labels and yeah. stuff and it's you know it's a big partnership mm-hmm. or they might not have on. management or right. if they do have management maybe the manager um you know doesn't like thinking about pr and promotion too much and we might sort of collaborate on that a little bit yeah. or i think what's important to us and what might make us different from a sort of more traditional publisher I guess is how much we like to be a really everyday part of that team I think there's probably writers and composers who might sign to a publisher and and then that's sort of that and you get your royalty statement and you maybe get a sync request here and there but we've always wanted to yeah just have that everyday relationship with an artist and really go to as many shows as possible and we might be the only team they have sometimes. They might mm-hmm. not have a manager or a label. Do you think more publishers are doing what you do? I think so. Now? I think I, I know a lot of friends and colleagues who work at other labels who are like that. You who are, have to. Who are really hands-on. Yeah, yeah, so... And when you're competing, I guess is the word, against these big, really big indies, let's call them, even though they should maybe be classed as majors, um they don't have that day-to-day relationship some artists might not even know who to call to speak to about a sort of have a creative relationship with mm-hmm. or find out what's been pitched for sync recently so i think that's a that's a selling point for us that's something we take pride in is that mm-hmm. the relationship we do have so i think that's something we will just keep doing it's really it's as important to us as well as it being a usp You've been here for five years. You've mm-hmm. held a sync position. Yes. You've held creative manager position. Uh-huh. And now you are the managing director. Yes. How is it being the managing director? It is completely different from those last two roles. <laughs> As you can imagine, it's absolutely amazing. At um, 28? Yeah, it was... Um, As well? We, yeah, we announced it a week before my 28th birthday. Nice. <laughs> Um, so there was actually this one headline that's like managing director at 27 I felt like a bit of a fraud that I had a week left <laughs> um, yeah it, it's amazing it was such um, it was such a surprise in many ways that that's sort of what ended up happening mm-hmm. um, I certainly which is kind of sad I wasn't one of those sort of kids that sat around thinking I'm going to be a CEO one day um, maybe I should have 
But um, yeah, I think it happened, I guess, because of how much I love the company mm-hmm. and how well I know it and um, how much passion I have for it. Um, so you dove in feet first, very deep from, yes. from the moment you got here. You thought, this is. I this just is loved it, yeah. Well, actually, I. So and that I, helped. Yeah, I knew the company before I worked here, too. So right. I actually. Um, I first met Catherine in 2012. Um, so, yeah, nearly three years before I started here. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was managing Max Richter at the time. Right. And the uh, PR firm I worked for. Wildcat PR were doing PR for his album mm-hmm. and this is like my, this is my first job out of uni um, and I, I loved it and that Max Richter campaign was really exciting and but I remember meeting Catherine and thinking she was just awesome um, and had such a command of every situation she worked mm-hmm. within and but also so most importantly loved the music too and then um, I worked with her on when they released or they published Nils Fram's first sheet music book and did a big launch event I did the PR for that and um, loved working with Nils too Mm -hmm. and then um, was leaving leaving my old job to go to something else completely different and my old boss bumped into Catherine and um, said oh Harriet Harriet's leaving Um, and Actually, Catherine was advertising for the sync position at the time, so she sort of recommended I go meet her, and they were interviewing people, and yeah, it was just one of those amazing situations, which was then resulted in very awkwardly me having to go to the other company and say, oh, I'm actually not going anymore. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, and then and then starting in sync when I ha- actually had very little knowledge as to what it was, but I think was just really great at the promotional side and PR and knowing the genre and knowing the artists. How much, kind of, of this kind of the core publishing know-how did you have when you came here? You know, like so licensing little. and copyright and all that sort of stuff. So little. <laughs> I actually used to organise a lot of panel talks um, when I was in PR, and I remember doing one with um, Tash Baldwin and Dave McGuinness mm-hmm. and um, a few other speakers, and I was moderating it and I think back now and I knew nothing about publishing but I think actually but found that talk really interesting so it, I, I definitely had a crash course mm-hmm. um, I think maybe my career at Manners McDade's just been loads of crash courses crash course in publishing then crash course in running a business um. <laughs> I always remember when I first applied for university was when Westminster still did a music business mm. undergraduate course and I'm pretty sure I didn't get let on um, because my, the answer to the questions at the end, so I did a presentation, but then there was kind of a Q&A bit of what do you know about this, what do you know about that? And I'll always remember it because it was a, can you tell me what music publishing is? And I went, no. <laughs> that's and very cruel. I teach it. <laughs> I know, but that's so cruel to an 18 year old. You know, you've got... There was other reasons for it, but yeah. that was always the one that sticks in my head yeah. because I couldn't answer. Your I have no idea, and now I teach it, and I've worked in it for over a That's decade. That's amazing. And it's just you know you just kind of you learn as you go along. Well, it you? is something that people, I guess, should be educated in a little bit more. I I also think just in terms of I think more people are yeah nowadays. I think there's this there's more, much more emphasis now on on artists kind of needing to know yeah and also having access to services you know Definitely. when I was in a band you didn't have label services you didn't have digital distribution and you didn't have publishing services out there that you could just sign up to mm. you had to be signed and so you were doing a hell of a lot or you just weren't doing a hell mm. of a lot until you got signed and somebody else is doing it for you Whereas yeah now it's kind of a well no, you can sign up to a, a centric music or yeah, a tune definitely, or someone definitely. like that that can... Oh, I never re- registered one set list the whole time I was in a band for like 10 I years. I did either. Which is so stupid. <laughs> but no, I think also just in terms of letting... Well, I guess in letting young people know what jobs there are in that space too. I think it's um, it's such an interesting space to work in, but and it's such a huge part of the music industry that mm-hmm. there's so much opportunity in it. But I definitely, yeah, got a real crash course in it and just had to learn just had to learn really quickly. <laughs> so what, what is your day-to-day role as MD now? Yeah. You said it ch- it's changed a lot yeah. since, the, since the last couple. So. 
so well so I've been doing it almost a year and a half now uh-huh. um it's it's managing a team so I've got a brilliant team of sort of nine people um a lot of strategy I think we're always thinking about how we can be better right. be bigger um move forward um still a lot of uh, relationship with artists spending mm-hmm. a lot of time with them or going to shows traveling a lot going to things like film festivals um going to conferences whilst i'm not doing i guess the day-to-day creative mm-hmm. of being a creative manager or sync manager as i was before yeah i guess it's more about the sort of strategy of it and thing and working with an artist right at the beginning of a campaign perhaps or a tour do you not get involved at all in those kind of day-to-day nitty-gritty oh i think in in a company this this small we always will um yeah i think you know it's just that case of if a sync brief comes through on the phone and you know if someone's out at meetings we would all jump in and and do it yeah and 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 i love that that's what i've sort of yeah loved my Sort of I was going to say, what's the, the, the sync stuff and the creative director stuff that you were doing? Do you miss any of God, yeah. the kind of the front line out and about? Yeah, I think I do. Sort of I still do lots of, you know, the out and about stuff now. It's just different in a way. Yep. But, you yeah, know, I, re- I really miss that. I just also, it was, it's just such a great job. <laughs> it's just so much fun. So, but I, I still do. That's why I'll still try and help with stuff like that. And obviously... Mm-hmm. I guess now I'm like signing the paperwork and licenses rather than getting to it to that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really lovely, and it, I, I guess it's more of an overview too. And what's been interesting, personally, is being across both companies now too. I think when I was a sync manager, it was very really very much yeah. on the publishing side. The next role, which was the global creative manager, I was dipping into the agency a little bit but really now I get to have a complete overview of that too and those composers are just incredible mm-hmm. so so that's a really nice addition to my day to day you got to MD mm. pretty fast mm-hmm. pretty young mm-hmm. have you experienced any issues with those two factors I know the music industry can be a bit cutthroat yeah. at times it can be a little bit you know everybody knows everybody's business everybody's got an opinion have you experienced anything like that or has it all been super awesome and and cool it's it's that's a really interesting question because it's not particularly overt if there's ever an issue i definitely turn up at a meeting or yeah turn up at a meeting and you can sort of see someone's face just sort of say what the you know like it just doesn't compute right and I've had because quite a few there's quite a few publishing companies who've been going for a while and that yeah. person in the MD role has been there for quite a while. A while. Well, and I've had I had a really interesting uh, conversation with someone. I think it was at the Ivers, and I introduced myself, and they obviously knew the company. And then I said what I did, and he asked me four times what my role was at Management Tape, and it just wouldn't it just wouldn't go through. <laughs> <laughs> it just wouldn't it wouldn't compute so but no do you just not, kind of take that and roll with it yeah I think it's hilarious okay that's their problem you know yeah, yeah. I think um I think what I probably you know looking back over the last year and a half oh I've probably thought more that I want people to know that I'm really good at it mm-hmm. um but I've also been really supported and equipped um by by Catherine and Bob, I've got great business. I had a great business coach now. I had another one last year to sort of really help me with that process of, I guess, structuring the company. Okay. Um, for as in someone externally from yeah of here. Okay. Yeah, and then now I've got another coach that sort of I'll meet up with more regularly and talk through things and just having a sort of how do, how do you neutral support find those sorts of people? Just sort of research and meeting people and um, yeah, just finding finding sort of coaching companies and stuff and I really I really recommend that because I think it's uh, it's really helpful to have someone sort of yeah on the outside someone kind of unbiased um and I think but it's also interesting to think you can run a a business and I think a lot of people would say you you know that's got to be in a certain way and there's and Mm -hmm. there's that always that balance of you know making money but sticking with your ethos and I think 
the ethos here is so important and the, also the culture is really important mm -hmm. too it's a really lovely place to work and I never want that to go away whilst having the structure and I guess you've got an opportunity to put your own little tweak yeah. onto that ethos you've been here for a number of years yeah. you like that central ethos but also now you're yeah that's really interesting closer to the top of the tree now mm -hmm. so you can start going well, actually Kind of, I'd quite like us to do yeah. this. And I have complete freedom in that space. I think that's just, um, it's just a, a confidence thing, isn't it? To sort of put your mark on something like mm -hmm. that is quite bold. Um, not that I'm not afraid to do it, but I just think I'm also aware that I want to be in this role for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So just making sure those changes are sustainable. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that now you're, it's your signature on the bottom of the licenses mm. rather than go, that first one. That yeah, the first time you I... had to do. Yeah. How how did that feel? Right. Was that really weird? Yeah, in that you know the box where you write your title, writing managing director. In that was really like surreal and strange. <laughs> and it, I remember you know getting my first business cards with it or email signature and and I I remember having probably the worst imposter syndrome I've ever had was the day that we did the announcement. Mm -hmm. And we rolled it out quite slowly. I think it was a sort of a four-month process of when right. they asked me to do it, and I, it took me a, a while of shell shock to sort of get over that at first. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously telling everyone in the in the team, and the, telling all of the writers and composers, um, yeah. And and then the announce we did a sort of announcement thing, and then the sort of industry press really like stuff like that. So it was, but that was absolutely terrifying. So I was just waiting for that sort of negative. Reaction that no, no, of yeah, course there wasn't. Course <laughs> no one cares that much. <laughs> Very true. So um, yeah, but I remember that was sort of, whoa, this is some some but real it's a, it's a, yeah, syndrome. big deal, big step, mm. especially yeah, yeah, a but, cool step though. Yeah, I absolutely love it, and I know how really lucky I am. So. Ah. Uh, last bit I just wanted to touch on a little bit of the stuff that you're doing outside of yeah Manners McDade um, specifically the radio show yes and also the stuff that you're doing with she said yeah she said so yeah yeah so can you for the un uneducated and please <laughs> class me as one of them what is she said so what is your involvement in it Go. Talk to me. Yeah, so it's um it's a really brilliant, brilliant thing. It's a, a network um, and support, I guess, for women in the music industry and the sort of reasoning behind it being that um, not only is there sort of a disparity between the amount of women in the industry versus, mm -hmm. versus um, men in the industry, but it's just that recognising that it's not always a wonderful place to work as a woman or there are challenges to it just like there are in society mm -hmm. um so uh, providing support for that so in in basic terms it's an email sort of forum you sign up and you receive these emails you can share stories blogs um rants jobs all sorts um on this email chain there's also facebook groups for some different territories because there's about three thousand members worldwide mm -hmm. um and yeah you sign up or you can receive the newsletter there's socials um social media and then there's monthly events or um, we do a mentorship program we're just about to do a conference for the first time celebrating our five-year anniversary nice so i yeah i got involved quite early on um it started in london and then the founder moved to la um, Very nice. And um, so it's it's really big in America. It's really big here. Um, we're in most other territories where the music industry exists. Free to sign up for those who want to. Free to or sign up for the newsletter and the socials. Yeah. We have just in, introduced some really small membership fee um, to be a member and to have access to sort of certain things, including that. Just because that email forum is so um, so big and also the sort of it's so far reaching you suddenly have access to all these incredible people in the industry so so are you is your involvement in it as one of those mentors one of those people that well, those people coming in yeah it's a it's a volu it's a voluntary organization yeah. so I'm, I'm i'm a volunteer um and i ran the whole london division for for a few years okay and um 
was when I founded the mentorship program with Holly Manners. Um, and we, yeah, we, so we started that in, I think we sort of came up with the idea in about 2016, started it in 2017. Yep. And we've run a pilot scheme and a full scheme and we're about to run another scheme at the um, conference that we're doing. And yeah, I mean, I just have, I'm just really passionate about the whole reason behind She Said So that I just really wanted to be involved and I love being involved mm -hmm. and then the, and the mentorship was just something that just it just had to happen it was completely necessary um, and I'd never done anything like that before so it was interesting but um, yeah so so worthwhile yeah and going yeah. from strength to strength only getting bigger only getting bigger. yeah definitely it's an absolutely brilliant organization um, and just doing incredible things and it's, it's just the sort of outlet where you can come up with an idea and or, or hear about something that needs sort of fixing in the industry and you put on an event about it and, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, it's really special, really special. Cool. And you're a radio presenter. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. Two years ago? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's two years in October. Um, I've just done my 23rd show. Um, so it happens every month. It was an, a, an hour a month for the first year and then they bump me up to two hours, which is really scary. So a two hour show rather than two one hour shows? Yeah. Yeah. Two hour show. So you've got to fill it with more content. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a classical show. It's called Soho Classical. It's on Soho Radio. They wanted to do a classical show for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and How strict is that? Can you start oh, it, drifting into neoclassical? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it's sort of, how do I, I said anything in and around classical music. So <laughs> honestly, sometimes I'll finish with like a, a proper banger. Um, but it's, it's it's just got a piano in it. Or yeah, exactly. It's got or some starts strings. off slow. It's got some strings. <laughs> well, there's that um, Marabou State track, Turn Mills. That I went, to, I saw at Glastonbury, and was just like had a great time. So I was like, I'm going to play this on the show, and it starts the little orchestral <laughs> section. Um, so yeah, it's it's very loose, but I also have really interesting guests. So I have a theme every month. And when that first when the show first started, it was instrument theme, but then I kind of ran out of instruments and I refused to do the flute. So um, <laughs> and it's all some stuff that you're putting into place for it. You have the ideas, you make the yeah, calls, you reach yeah. out to those people who you want to get on the show. Yeah, and I had Mary Beard last time. Like, Amazing. It was insane. She's so incredible. So that, sh that show was interesting because we did it about um, mythology mm -hmm. in classical music. And I always ask my guests to recommend three classical pieces. And actually for Mary, they were all mythologically uh, centred. So we okay. themed the show around that. And obviously she just had some great historical insight into all those stories. So And that's a DAB Yeah, so, so so Soho's, a, um, again, it's a voluntary, or it's community radio. Yeah. Um, it's, it's uh, yeah, DAB, but also it's always on Mixcloud as a sort of podcast. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really fun show. And what I, I usually start it by coming up with a theme, and then I curate probably about three hours of music for the two hour show, even though I can probably only play about an hour and a half worth. And- um, There's a Spotify playlist in there. Yeah, there? yeah. So I have a blog as well, and then try and post a Spotify playlist on there. And then, um, and then, yeah, I'll be interviewing someone. Like the month before last, I had a, a doctor of sonic arts from Belfast. and. Awesome. Yeah, it's get some really interesting guests and some live performances sometimes, which is always lovely. And you're not that's again going from strength to strength. You're not about to kind of suddenly become too busy to. Oh my god, I'm definitely too or... busy to do that, but I love it, <laughs> so I just find the time to do it. <laughs> and when is it available? Um, it's every it's a, the f last Wednesday of every month. Right. Yeah. And. Podcast and then podcasts straight away are, are up, uh, mm -hmm. up and available, and you can go back. Yeah, so if you, actually if you just go on Mixcloud and search Soho Classical, it's the only thing that comes up. So really easy to find. Awesome. Last question, and it's kind of drifting back to publishing and signing artists mm. and things like that. What do you look for in new artists in those? songwriters that you want to want to work with what are the things from your perspective on a personal level mm. but also from the company's perspective what are you looking for is it just about the quality of the song or is it about uh you know the the way that the songwriter comes across mm. in correspondence mm. is there any particular things that really jump out at you yeah i think luckily my thought personal thoughts on these are aligned with the company which makes things easier but um 
it's it's always about the music fundamentally um there's something intangible about that in that when you listen to something you sort of know you want to like publishing something is such a pride and joy you want like I love it when you listen to something absolutely incredible and you go yes we published this this is such a nice feeling um so but you're looking I think for something special because I think we hear so much of the same type of music that it's got that sort of magic dust on it that makes it stand out so so in 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 the world that we are in at the moment where there is so much stuff Mm. what can songwriters do to push that yeah that magic dust that something special I to think, the forefront yeah just they, they've got to be themselves they've got to sound different they've got to have something about them that makes it sound like them I hate it hate it <laughs> when people email us and say um, I'm the new someone right aka someone on our roster why I don't need them I've got the OG <laughs> leave me alone <laughs> So I just that's just crazy. Why would you ever want to be something else? Right. You know? Um so be yourself, have your personal stamp on it, love it and and be able to I think being able to sort of play things live or um have a, a sort of tangible aspect to the music's great too. I think you know it's it's nice to work with lots of producers, but I definitely get excited when I can go and see something um, performed by someone that we work with. I think it's the same, it's exactly the same with um, film scores or or composers writing for film, TV and advertising. I love it when it can be any kind of genre of film, but you still know who the composer is. That's Mm -hmm. really special. Um, They also have to be a nice human being. That is number one rule of signing to Manus Madeid. we don't work with anyone that we don't like and I think that's really important because we're such a small team Mm -hmm. and because we have really consistent workforce people like working here and want to stay here so they have to have nice working relationships so yeah we don't work with anyone that's nasty or we don't like and that's really important too but I think that's also got something special about it in that I remember some artists that we've signed and I remember the first email I had from them or their manager, or, mm-hmm. yeah. If you're an artist, make sure your manager's a nice person too. Just surround yourself with nice people. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so, so, so important. And, you know, we're really lucky in the space that I guess you and I met in, in our sync world, that that's very, very largely true. Yes, so, it's one of the things that I always, work. always loved about that area of the business, mm-hmm. the camaraderie within it. It's the... completely unique, isn't it? Yeah. When you think about... Yeah, the sync community in the UK, but beyond too. I mean, I go to LA a huge amount and you have the same thing there. Mm-hmm. It's like go, I just going to a nice place and seeing loads of friends. It's really special. Cool. What an awesomely positive way to finish. Thank you <laughs> very me. much for having me here. <laughs> Thank you. Massive thank you there to Harriet for having a chat. It was great. I really hope to get her back on to, to, to talk in much more detail about some of the stuff that she said so does. Uh, if you would like to find Harriet on social media, find her on Twitter at Harriet Moss. You can also find Manners McDade at Manners McDade. And she said so at she said underscore so. If you go to mannersmcdade.co.uk, you can check out their roster and all the lovely work that they're doing. You can also find Manners McDade on Instagram at Manners McDade and also on Facebook at Manners McDade Music or rather facebook.com forward slash Manners McDade Music. Please do get in touch with the show on Email at behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com with questions that you'd like to ask the guests and also questions that you would like to ask of me as well as requests for getting people on. I've got some interesting ideas for 2020 uh, with multiple guests in the shows and maybe adding some video stuff. So I'm playing around with a bunch of things. 
you can also find the podcast on Instagram at Behind the Business Pod and find me on Twitter for a few ramble rambling comments every now and again at Danny Champion. I have episodes coming out every week between now as of recording the 21st of October 2019 and the end of the year so do check those out do tell other people that you think might find my podcast interesting thank you very much for listening until next time